give a great welcome to Josh Finat, the editor of Monaco. My name's Josh and I'm the editor of Monocle magazine. I know that there are a few subscribers in the audience. I know we have some advertisers here, but just very briefly, I wanted to explain what Monocle magazine is and why it might be relevant to everyone in the room today. Um, Monocle started 15 years ago at a very interesting time in the world, but particularly in the magazine industry. People said that there was no space on the newsstand for long-form journalism, for investing in, shooting on film, and for sending journalists on assignment. They said people couldn't focus. People needed to look at things on screens, it needed to be given to them free, and it needed to be done immediately. I don't think that's true. I think a lot of predictions that we've made about the world have not come true. The fact that cities wouldn't be important in 2022 was something so many people said. We'll all be sitting in our bedrooms, on Zoom calls, living out in the countryside, no, we're, we're here, we're sharing some air, we're sharing some ideas, and that's the fundamental idea behind Monocle. A cheery, upbeat, nuanced view of the world that acknowledges that there are problems around sustainability, that it's expensive to live in cities, that there's great inequality, but also through our collective action, we can do special things. We can find people's sunglasses in a room full of uh, well-meaning people. It's a tiny example but isn't a city a little bit like this room, filled with people, filled with opportunities, filled with ideas, and all it needs is someone just to nudge us in the right direction, to all work together, and we can make things a little bit better. So we're gonna see if this slideshow works. And it does. One of the things uh, that people ask me when they say, okay, Monocle's a print magazine, it's been going for 15 years, it covers global affairs, business, culture, design, architecture, it looks beautiful. But what's the thing that unites the readers? What's this clarion call that cuts across class, countries, and everything else? Um, for me, I'd say it's quality of life. And quality of life is something that we all think about every day, but we very rarely all talk about. We very rarely stand in a room together and say, that was a good day because of this, or that's a good product because of this. And to me, quality of life is about opportunity, opportunity to pursue the thing that you want, to surround yourself with things that are well made, to go into a coffee shop and know that the beans have been paid for fairly and that the barista has been paid fairly and to have a human interaction with that person. So I think Monocle is taking that view and taking that stance to the world. Luxury isn't yachts. Luxury could be time to spend with your family. Luxury isn't a great car. It could be the capacity to cycle to work. Which brings me on to kind of my next point, which is about cities. Why do cities matter? Well, I'll give you a clue, because you're in them. And not only are you in them, almost everyone in the world is in them. By 2050, two thirds of the world's population will live in cities. And probably the other third will be in their bedroom on Zoom. But you can call them. <laughs> Very easy to call them. Um, when we talk about quality of life and opportunity in cities, we need to acknowledge that cities are the driver of some of the worst things in the world. They are the places where in some parts of the world your life expectancy goes down because you move to them, where there are higher risks of crime, where in some parts of the world uh, access to healthcare is much worse. But at their best, cities can do something magical. They can drive innovation. They can push people towards each other. Us all being here in Copenhagen 
is no coincidence. There would be fewer people here if we were much further away in a city that people weren't happy to go to for a few days. Cities are meeting points. They spur commerce, opportunity, and they drive economies. If you're from the UK like me, you basically don't have a leader anymore. But um, cities like London are capable of driving the UK forward. As the UK turns its back on Europe, London is still continuing to welcome talented, interesting, excited, engaged people. And that is the real power of cities, the thing that happens when we share ideas and when we innovate together. Um, we rank the 25 most livable cities in the world, and we start off, to be honest, with some quite boring data. We start at, uh, by looking at the GDP, the Gini coefficient, which is a, way of, a very clever way of measuring inequality. We look at how long people's commutes are. We look at how easy it is to start a business. And we crunch down all this data from cities where we have correspondents who've been living there for many years. And we have a huge argument. And we offend everyone. Because when we put our top 25 most livable cities together, we come to some funny conclusions that we're not very good at talking about what makes a city worthwhile. So we add some funny metrics as well. Does your city trust you to have a glass of wine at 2 in the morning? on a street corner? Or do they insist you have a plastic glass? Can you cycle for 50 meters without a helmet on, without being arrested? If you live in Melbourne, these things aren't a joke. If you live in Sydney, these things aren't a joke because the cities are very overbearing. They don't allow the equality of movement and opportunity that other liberal cities do. So this year, Denmark came in as our most livable city, or Copenhagen, should I say, came in as our most livable city. It's the fourth time and Copenhagen won uh, because it's invested tremendously in all of you, whether you live here or whether you're just visiting. It's a city that you can cycle around, where you can swim in clean water at lunchtime. It is geared towards pedestrians. Um, and it respects you as a citizen to make some of the choices around the world. And so why do we do this ranking? Um, and why should you care? Good question. We do this ranking to annoy people. We do this ranking to start conversations. We do this ranking to get me on stage here to ask you what you think makes a livable city, because that's actually the most important thing. Whether or not we invest in a huge piece of research that tells you how many bike lanes are being added in Brisbane or what's happening in Sydney or Singapore, the interesting thing actually is that we all share ideas and we all have expectations about our cities. We don't just walk through them with our headphones in, looking at screens, we engage with other people and we have proper conversations about the cities which are capable of influencing how we live and our happiness within them. Being a journalist, uh, I'm keen to make lists, obviously, endless lists and talk and listen to people. But I've put together some ideas for how we can build better cities. And I think this is relevant to the hospitality industry exactly because so many lessons come from the hospitality industry. And I'm a little bit worried sometimes when I hear people in the hospitality industry talk about doing away with the human touch, about value engineering projects. And I think today we've had an amazing conversation about putting people back at the center of that, people's considerations. Um, and I think that's vitally important. Uh, so just my first tip for building better cities, they don't need to look like the cities of the past. They don't need to be horrible glass and steel high rises rising up from the earth. They can be green, they can be beautiful, they can be full of fresh air, they can be full of spaces to play and to experiment. 
And I think we need to, we need to completely bear that in mind. If you look at cities like London, the most desirable places to live are the Victorian and the Georgian houses. We don't build any of those anymore, obviously, but they're the most desirable places to live. So why are we living in skyscrapers? They will be the slums of the future. You can mark my words for that. People don't want to live high up in tall towers. They might stay there for one night in a hotel, but it's not where they'll buy their apartment, and we need to bear that in mind. Technology can do so many amazing things. It can bring us all together, and it can make things happen more quickly. But I'm a bit worried about too much technology. What if an old lady living in Copenhagen has one social interaction a day, and it's when she goes to the shop? What happens when you make that a self-checkout service, and her only interaction of the day becomes a beep? What happens in a hotel where you no longer can access staff because everything has been done online? I've been in similar situations, locked out in the middle of the night in Toronto, trying to work a key card system that didn't work. And I just think it's important we consider the humanity and offer people a warm welcome. Um, creating spaces to thrive. If you look down at an empty high street, there's no sadder sight, really, is there? But look at the size of the units. Could you rent one for a month? How much would it cost? Good, successful cities create spaces for entrepreneurs to do things on every scale. And all of you as hoteliers are capable of doing this. Can you create a kiosk in the front? Rather than try and get a load of money for it, could you rent it out to a florist from the neighborhood? And could they pay you in flowers? You'd have different people coming through. The hotel would look great. The hotel would smell great. And it's also an activation. When you put a bench outside, you tell people that this is a place to stay and to linger and to enjoy themselves. And cities only really work when we start reinstating those areas where people can mix and mingle and meet and have serendipitous reactions. A little bit of sensitive and clever design um, can make cities joyful. And it comes back to this notion of, of quality of life. Um, creating spaces to share ideas. Clearly, I work for a magazine. The newsstand is important. But I think it's also a place where you meet people and you see people, you, you regard and you are regarded. And I think whether it's an enormous new museum project, whether it's a theater, whether it's a, a performing arts space, whatever it is, these little small spaces to create what all ancient cities had, a meeting point, a place where people would rub up against each other. You don't have to agree with everyone. You don't have to like it. But creating these points where people are out of their own heads, out of their compounds, away from their headphones, I think is super important. Uh, leave a little texture and sense of place. This is so important for hotels. When you're building your brands, you know that brands are built through repetition. But you can end up in a space where, um, as one of the panelists said earlier, you wake up and you don't know what city you're in because the hotels are all the same. My big fear is that you're going to wake up in a city one day and you're not going to know what city you're in because of chain stores, because of a lack of planning that keeps cities as they should be. What we need to do is build some modularity. We need to look at Georgian houses in England and how they survived by being carved up and made into spaces that people still want to live in today. Um, I think you need to create some spaces in cities to have a bit of fun. When you think about why people move to cities, they don't move there to you know, nudge up the GDP numbers. They do think about their future and their prosperity, but actually what they're really thinking about is having fun, maybe meeting a partner, maybe meeting several, who knows. Um, cities should be places of excitement, and off the radar when we talk about cities is the nighttime economy. Places to blow off some steam, places to stay up late, to drink, to experiment, to have fun. And hotels are exactly the same. You know, you can value engineer a space too much, 
where it's the place where you have breakfast, it's the place we have lunch, it's the place we have dinner, and you know, we rent it out at weekends. Build a big club in the basement and people will come to it if it's good. And also it'll be an exciting place and it'll be uh, something that people can really get on board with, something that acknowledges their humanity, not just their need to sleep and eat, but their need to have a little bit of fun as well. How the cities are built are one thing and how you choose to engage with them is another. It's a tiny little nudge, you know, in journalism we try and collect stories and ideas from all over the world. I am not an expert, I can't tell you how to run your hotel, I can't tell you how to run your city, but what I can do, and if I've spent the past 10 years doing, is bringing together stories about people who can, sharing them across industries, and I would encourage you all to be your own editors, to take the ideas that work for you, to nudge social interactions in a positive way, to put pressure on the architects, the builders, and the contractors to do better, because cities are what we make of them, and they're what we've made of them. Oh God, they're surrounding me. <laughs> um, and so I think you've got to take a moment to have fun and enjoy. And then after you've done that, you can always subscribe to Monocle magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much, Jeff. <laughs>